Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Brenham, Texas. My name is Joel Knox, and I'm the senior pastor here. If you haven't already, you can check out our media archive on our website, vineyardbrenham.org, or go to our Facebook page at Vineyard Brenham for more media or information about our church. We're so glad you joined us, and here's this week's message. Did anybody recognize that movie? Yeah. Well, that was Field of Dreams, for those of you who didn't know. And Ray Kinsella, which is played by Kevin Costner, that's when he heard the voice. You remember? If you build it, he will come. Well, the movie was released in 1989, and the field, the baseball field that was built in the middle of the cornfield, it became a tourist attraction that is actually still active today. As a matter of fact, in uh, August of this year, depending on any other cancellation or, or whatever might happen due to the virus, the Chicago White Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals are scheduled to play each other on this field in an exhibition game. Now, originally, it was supposed to be the White Sox and the Yankees because those were the teams that were playing in, in Field of Dreams. But because of all the regulations that have come out, because of the coronavirus, they're not allowed to play. So St. Louis has been around almost as long as the Yankees, so I guess that was why they chose them. But anyhow, now if you remember in the movie, Ray and, and his wife Annie received a lot of criticism from the community. I mean, this, was, this is Iowa. And what do they have in Iowa? Lots of corn. And so they decided that they were going to plow under however many acres of corn to make space for this baseball field. And at that point in time, he understood the voice to say, if you build it, they will come. And of course, you know the story. They built the field and then they got the lights turned on and then everybody starts coming and then of course he ends up meeting his father and you know and that's the whole point of the movie but everyone thought that ray was crazy i mean they even had a community meeting and and they they called him out for being the 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 wacko who plowed his corn under you know now I'm not going to talk to you about Field of Dreams today, but I want to talk to you about this. I, this is the idea. Look at the fields. Now, here in Brenham, we don't see as much cornfields as you might see in Iowa, but we do have cotton fields. If you just go north of us here, there are wheat fields in some places. There are different kinds of fields. And, and there are some fields that are, they're just used 
to make hay. And that's what they end up growing. They, they grow the alfalfa grass that becomes the good eating for the cows. And so they, they make these huge bales of hay. Well, during this time of the year, this is, is crucial for the harvest that comes in just a few months from now. And the, the, the rain that we get, if we, if we don't get too much, then we know that, that, that that'll, that'll affect what, what is harvested in the fall. We know that if, if it gets too hot, it's too dry, that's going to affect what we have in the fall. But we know that through this time, this crucial time, this, this incubation time, if you want to call it that, that the, the fields are growing. And when they're growing well, you can look out and you can see the fields are getting ripe. It's soon will be harvest time. Well, in John's gospel, Jesus told his disciples, John chapter 4, he said, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe. White, in another translation, and ready for harvest. Now, just to give you a little bit of context about where Jesus was, was having this conversation with his disciples, this was when Jesus took the disciples on the road trip. You remember? And they went from, from Jerusalem in, in Judea into Samaria where the Samaritans lived. Well, this was considered a no-no. They, they didn't like the Samaritans. They thought this, the Samaritans were beneath them. And any good Jew going from Jerusalem to the northern part of, of Judea would just simply walk around rather than going through because they felt like it was beneath them to interact with the Samaritans and, and that, you know, in some of them even thought that, that they might become unholy because of their interaction together. Well, this was where Jesus had the, had the conversation with the woman at the well, if you remember. And, and she ends up going and telling the entire town that Jesus just told her everything about her life, that this, this must be the Messiah, and Jesus was excited about what God was doing in Samaria, and the disciples were a little freaked out. We really shouldn't be here. Um, Jesus, don't you understand? that? You, do you realize the people that you're talking to, that you're hanging out with, that you're sharing a meal with, that you shared a drink with? Well, Jesus broke every religious rule and tradition in order to connect with these unclean people. And he made his disciples break those same traditions too. But this is the thing about Jesus. He's not concerned about tradition. He's not concerned about rules. Jesus was more concerned about lost people finding him. That was what he was about. That was his whole mission on earth, to make sure that people found him, including Samaritans. 
including the people that we might not like or want to interact with. You know, the people that we feel uncomfortable with whenever we're around them, for whatever reason. And to be, to be honest, people are searching for that real life today. They're looking for it. And we need to be able to show them who Jesus is. Now, one of the things that happened to me during our isolation period, you remember March, April, just everybody was at home, and some of us were maybe binging on Netflix or, you know, whatever your, your TV service might be. Well, we did some binging too. Well, one particular day, I was, I was on Facebook, and I saw this, this post, and I recognized one of the guy's names. He was a, 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 he was a small groups guru, I guess is the best way to explain it. He was at, a, at this large church from Illinois. I recognized the name, and, and he said that they were going to be doing this discipleship group. And they were, they're going to be meeting on Thursdays. They're going to be meeting using Zoom. And so I was like, okay, this, this seems cool. Had to sign up for it. Had to be accepted into the group. Like, wow, this is, this is kind of serious. So I, I attended the first session, and they were talking about this thing that, that's called discipleship movements. And this is the diagram that they shared. And it's, it's a, a, a movement of multiplication of disciples. And it's happening really all over the world. I never really heard of it. I think, Pam, you might have, have heard about it before. and we, We've talked a little bit about it. But I, I wanted to find out more. This is really cool. And, and, and it actually started with people who were trying to share the gospel in, in Muslim countries. And the idea, it, it, it starts, and if you look at the diagram, this, they, they, what they say is that you can draw this on a, on a napkin and, and explain it to somebody. And so so I, I just wanted to show it to you. But, um, but the whole thing starts with the heart of God. And then it goes from there into prayer and then into engagement. And then it goes into finding these People of peace, and, and I, I don't want to go into a lot of a lot of detail about it because it, it it will take some time. There's some training involved and whatnot, and it goes into this discipleship and then assembling and then then multiplying. And one of the things I think that that we've as churches we've not really done a very good job of is focus on discipleship, about bringing people in and 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 helping them find Jesus and then helping them share the gospel with, with others. And so I went through this. It was, it was eight weeks, and, and the, the crazy thing was they had homework. I mean, who does that kind of stuff? Now, it was, it was a free course. I didn't have to, have to pay anything for it, but they were, they were requiring us to do homework to prepare for it and everything. And, and in the course of the weeks... There were some things that were involved. There, were, there was in the area of prayer, 
focusing on, on praying for, um, for, for the, the Lord to send people into the harvest. And there, there was a, a scripture that they shared, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest that He might send workers into the fields. Because why? Because the fields are ripe. They're already ready for harvest. There's so much that we need help bringing it in. And so this was, this was the whole idea. And so it starts with the heart of God and then, then, then we pray. One of the things I did, this was one of the tips that they gave us early on, was to set an alarm on, on my phone at 10.02 a.m. and 10.02 p.m. That alarm goes off every day. And when that alarm goes off, that's a reminder for me to, to pray, Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the harvest field. And another thing that, that came along with that, and, and I'll, I'll be talking to you folks about it because guess what? You're going to participate. But, um, but one of the things they asked that, that they, they wanted us to do was start a prayer calendar. And what the prayer calendar is, is you just, just make a list for 30, 31 days, and you just put people's names on there that you want to be praying for. And these are people that you want to participate. So, so I'll, I'll be contacting you about that in the next couple of weeks. But again, the, the, and the reason why I'm sharing, you, sharing this with you is because you know, th this is getting involved in, in what Jesus is doing. It, I mean, the harvest is plentiful. If you look around, there, there, it, it's it's ready, it's ripe. So somehow we've got to participate in it. Now, as I'm sharing that, I realize that if we're not careful, it's easy to get the cart before the horse. I don't know how many of you were here um, about a year and a half ago. Danelle and I had gone on a trip to to Florida. It was the last band trip that, that Anna was on, and so we, we drove all night to Jacksonville, Florida, got to see the game, and, you know, and then we turned around the next day and we came back crazy. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad that the, the band stuff is over because we don't have to go to games unless we just want to now. But, um, but anyhow, on the way back from that trip, if you'll remember, Danelle and I were having a conversation, and I just shared with the church that, you know, that, that this year, 2019, is going to be the year of growth for our church. And we're going we're gonna to do all this kind of stuff, and we need to talk about, like, all the things that we got to do to get ready for the growth. You know, we got to talk about our, our parking lots. we got to talk about, you know, expansion into the other building. we got to, you know, do you, anybody remember this? Okay, a few of you are here. And I'm talking about all this stuff, and I'm telling Danelle, and I'm getting really excited. And we're going along, and, and we're driving. We're somewhere in the middle of Florida. And we're going along, and, and finally she's just had enough. And she said, what difference does any of that make? You remember? I nearly had a wreck whenever she, because she, she doesn't normally yell, and she yelled at me. And, and I, what, what are you talking about? And the, the whole thing that, you know, I was getting all excited about it, and, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, we talk about growth, but really what we need to focus on is how much do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Do we know who He is? Do we have a relationship with Him? 
And so really it comes down to the motivation of our heart. And that motivation should be that we fall in love with Jesus. And we want to be part of what he's doing. And we want to, we, we want to be drawing closer to him. And then all that stuff can flow out of that. But until we get to that point, we're, we're still taken off in the wrong direction. So th- that's where I, I, I came up with the, these, these few things that I just want to share with you, and then and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll have some ministry. But, um, but in order to, to be a disciple of Jesus, I think there's a few things that we need to do. And the first thing is, in order to love Jesus, like in a way that we want to be his disciple, we first need to see him. I mean, who is Jesus? Do we, do, have we taken the time to find out who Jesus is? John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. And when we look at the disciples, they saw who Jesus was, and they loved him. They were drawn to him. There was something about Jesus that compelled them. I mean, think about it. How many of us, if, if somebody came up to you right now and just came up and said, Hello, come follow me. How many of you would just drop everything that you're doing right now to follow that guy. We wouldn't do it. But if you read the stories, Jesus, I mean, that's all he did. Peter and John, or, or John and James, or, or Nathaniel, any of these guys, they, every one of them, he just comes up to them and just says, follow me. Matthew, follow me. And Matthew closed his business and followed Jesus. What was it about Jesus that made him want to do that? He, it, he was fascinating. He was amazing. He was loving. I, I, I don't know what it was that each of them felt whenever Jesus asked them to follow him. But they were compelled and they followed him. So How can we see Jesus the way that the disciples did? Because they saw something and that was enough to become a disciple. How can we see him? Well, one of the best ways is to read what the Bible says about him. In John chapter 5, he says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, used to say, Scripture is the menu, not the meal. The meal that we're searching for is Jesus. And there's plenty of Jesus for everybody. You see, we we need to know what Jesus said and what he did. There are a lot of people that try to 
attribute things to Jesus that just aren't true. They're mischaracterizations of, of what Jesus is like. But when we look at Him in, in Scripture, we see the kind of man He was. The way that He loved people. The way that He cared about people. When we look at Him in Scripture, we, we, we can ask the question, well, what did He do? You can see that He, he had compassion. That He loved children. That He looked out for the, the person who was down and, and who was destitute. And when we look at Scripture, we can ask the question, well, what did Jesus say about Himself? I mean, He, he made no mistake about it, that I'm the Son of God. And I'm sure we probably all heard the, the quote from C.S. Lewis, either Jesus was a liar, or He was a lunatic, or He was who He said He was, and He is Lord of all creation. And Scripture shows us what He said about Himself. And we can also look at what others had to say about Jesus. Look at what the rest of the New Testament is talking about Jesus in, in the letters that were written by Peter and Paul, James, and others. And one of the things that that Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you remain, the literal sense is abide, live. If you remain in me and my words remain, live, abide in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. You'll receive it. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. Now, what's this fruit that Jesus is talking about? I think it's the life that flows out of connection. Being connected with Jesus. A, a vibrant relationship with Him. Think about it like this. How many of you grow plants? We try at our house. Um, sometimes, uh, it, yeah, we, we, we try. Sometimes they are um, abused and neglected. Um, but, but how many of us know that it's, it's in terms of plants, that if that plant is healthy, it's going to, grow and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bear fruit. We have this little wisteria thing that's out in our... I, I don't know if that's what it's called, but I, I, that's what I just called it. Um, but we have this little vine and, and we've been amazed just watching this thing just grow. And, and, it, and you know, we were thinking, man, the other day it, it looked like it was dying and all the leaves were turning brown. Well, I looked at it yesterday and, and all of a sudden there's, there's new growth that's popping in where all these, these dead leaves are. Something about that plant is healthy and, and, and it's able to thrive even whenever it gets too hot or it might get a little too dry. And that's the thing about, about bearing fruit when we're, when we're connected to Jesus in relationship. 
we will bear fruit. It just happens. Plants don't, don't sit around and tell themselves, grow. They're not having to tell themselves to bear fruit. They just do it because they're connected. And the life is flowing through them. Now, one other thing about Jesus, I think we need to take him seriously. I mean, why are we still talking about Jesus 2,000 years after he walked on the earth? I, I think Jesus is possibly the most amazing person who ever lived. And we look at what he said about himself. We look at what he did. We look at, at the things that he's promised. And we realize that, that there was no one like him. There's no one to compare him to. And one of the things that he said about himself in John chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Notice he didn't say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. He, he's, it, it's, in this way, and, and our world doesn't like the fact that when we say something is exclusive, that Jesus is the only way. It's, it's possible that, that you can miss the way. But that's not his intent at all. Again, his intent is that everyone would come to him and experience life. That they would come and experience the hope and the joy that is found in a relationship with him. And one of the, the things that, that allows us to experience this life that Jesus promises us is in doing what he did. If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that also involves us doing something. The whole idea of being a disciple, and this is actually part of a, a, a series. I didn't really say it up front. It was a little, a little uh, subtitle there, Students of Jesus. You know, if you're a student, what, what do you do? You study. You know, if you're an apprentice, uh, apprentice, what do you do? You're learning this craft from someone who is, is a teacher so that you can take this craft on as yourself. And that's kind of what we're doing as disciples. We're taking on the craft of Jesus, following Him and becoming one of His disciples. And the whole point of becoming a disciple is, is to do what Jesus did. And Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now what is this truth that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think it comes when we discover, we discover real life in relationship and connection, like I was saying just a few minutes ago, that we discover relationship and connection with Jesus and in being His disciple, in doing what He did. His half-brother James talked about faith and works. 
I'll show you my faith by what I do. And that's very much what it means to be a disciple. But again, we can get ourselves really off on a tangent if our motivation is doing things because we, we feel this obligation, this, this legalistic kind of thing that, that we have to do it in order to, to be pleasing to God as opposed to doing it out of relationship and out of love in connection with Him. Now, I, I, I said all that, and I, I want to swing back to what I was talking about in the very beginning. What do you see when you look at your neighborhood? What do you see when you look at Brenham, Washington County? What do you see when you look out at the fields? Sometimes we look and we see with our natural eyes and we see, well, you know, this, this part of town is not so good. This part of town is a little bit more desirable. You know, that this, this part of town, you know, or the people who live here or the people who live there. I think we need to see our fields, our neighborhoods, our, our town, our, our community, the way that Jesus sees it. Jesus sees people who need to know their Savior. And so what I want to do here as, as we close, I want to ask you this question. Or I want to actually get you to ask this question. Ask Jesus to show you what He sees in the fields of your life. What does He see when you walk down the street? What does He see? What does He see in this interaction with this person or that person? What does He see? And then... Once you've asked him that, then allow what he wants to do there to begin in you. Does that make sense? Ask him to show you what he sees, and then when, when he shows that to you, ask him to begin whatever that needs to be done there to begin in you. Another thing that John Wimber used to say was, God does to you what He wants to do through you. And however He chooses to reveal Himself in that way, He'll show us. And He'll do that in us so that it can be done through us. So um, I was going to ask, I guess Anna left. Um, so, um, well, I'm going to have to improvise. Um, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And there's a couple of things that, that I, I, want to, I want to do before we go today. Holy Spirit, come.
Come and work in us today.